Today is March 20th, 2013. This is Amy Begley interviewing Mary Lepper for the RRCA Women Pioneers of Running Oral History Project. Mary Lepper is best known for being the first woman to complete a marathon in the Culver City, California Marathon in 3 hours, 37 minutes, and 7 seconds in December of 1963. Um, her achievement wasn't really recognized until recently when David Davis went back and found Mary in the results and contacted her to start all of the fun publicity for being the first woman to complete the marathon. Hello, Mary. Hi. <laughs> Ah, so you decided to uh, become a pioneer and probably didn't even know it, and then went years without getting any recognition. Um, yeah. So take me back to when you first started running and the decision to run a marathon. Oh, well, I, I always loved to run. You know, even as a, a kid, I would just go out and run and run I, for no real reason. My My father had been a sprinter. So he was uh, supportive of, like, running in general. Um, and uh, he used to take me when I was, like, junior high school and so forth age. She, he used to take me to to uh, anything where there was uh, a, a girls' race. Like, I remember he took me to the Scottish Games a couple times in Los Angeles, and they'd have some running races for for women and girls. And he'd always enter me. And I'd always win because uh, not that I'm a, I'm not a good sprinter, but uh, you know there weren't athletes competing in these things. It was just the people that that happened to be around uh, attending the the um, the Scottish Games. So uh, he was real supportive of my running. And then when I was in high school, uh, one of the coaches, the male uh, coaches had this bright idea that he would start a women's track team. Now, this is before Title IX or anything like that, any uh, real re- organized support for for uh, uh, women's athletics. And so that was that was really cool. And we worked out like two or three t- at, the, at the high school track two or three times a week. And then he took us to AAU meets, uh, various places. So there were a couple of... Uh, um, Two or three of the women uh, uh, PE teachers also that got in on this and would take us uh, to uh, AAU meets. I remember we went to one in Bakersfield and we went to one in Pomona. And uh, uh, But this was kind of an extracurricular activity. It wasn't like a class or a recognized team for the, the high school. But, you know, it was our uh, – and it, it attracted some uh, – some attention, you know, because it was strange to see women out there running and being trained to run and so forth. And uh, most of the, many of the women who were on this team were were the um, uh, African-American girls, and uh, they would routinely break uh, uh, sprinting records in practice. They were so good. Uh, they were so fast. Now, I... Never was a sprinter. Um, I uh, ran in the 220 and the 440, and uh, sometimes they'd offer the 880, and I'd run in that. And the longer, the better, because I didn't, you know, I'm not a sprinter. I don't like to run really fast. And so uh, the longer races were were uh, where I was comfortable. So I ran and where I did the best. 
Um, and a lot, a lot of the women who, as you did, ran, you know, very rarely in the meets that would let women run in. Um, did you also do field events? Um, not when I was in high school. Uh, I did that when I was in junior college after I had met Lynn Carmen, who was the person who, who influenced me to uh, to compete in the marathon. And uh, so when I was in junior college, well, her husband, Bob, was a runner and coached Lynn and coached me. And he was a, uh, he was the one who was in charge of the cross-country team at the junior college. And the cross-country team would run all five or six-mile to ten-mile races in the hills. And uh, uh, he uh, was able to allow me to actually enroll in the class. And uh, so I would go out running with the uh, the the junior college um, cross country team, and we would you know train in the hills, and I'd go to the races and compete in the races and so forth. And Lynn usually uh, accompanied me in these things. Okay, and when so you were in high school, you just mostly did the anywhere from the two twenty to. 440 and rarely an 880 because they they didn't really offer that very often. Um, no, and we weren't we weren't really allowed to run more than eight 880. Yeah. And you were practicing a couple times a week. Um, now the women who were also running during this time they weren't allowed to run when the men were on the track. And some of the women said that the male coaches would lock up the track and they, the women would then have to climb over the fence to be able to practice. Um, did you have any barriers to be able to get onto the track to practice? Uh, no, we were like welcomed. You know, we were kind of like a, a, a novelties or something. You know, that women were actually doing this. Well, and it was a, a male uh, coach that was supporting, that was that started the team and was sponsoring us. So, you know, um, there was no problem at high school. Now later on in college, different times I, I had to crawl over fences, but. Uh, not either in uh, in high school or the uh, the uh, junior college was very open to anybody using the track who wanted to. It was definitely a little more progressive than, than some of the places that didn't. Well, it was California. Out. Maybe maybe that was different than back east. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's really funny. A lot of the women. Because back then, it took a while for information to go back and forth between the East and the West Coast. Um, the East Coasters really didn't know what was going on out in the West most of the time uh, mm-hmm. for people running. Yeah. And that might be half the reason that, that they didn't know that a woman had already run a marathon. Yeah. Because sometimes the information was just a little bit slow in getting there. Yeah. And so well, they, they wrote me up in the local newspaper, and in the long-distance log, there was a little... Uh, kind of a uh, little tiny magazine called a long distance log that that was published in Los Angeles, I think. Okay. So that probably did, didn't get to the East Coast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's really, yeah, it's definitely interesting how the information um, has changed mm-hmm. over the years, to yeah. the least. Um, but Julia Chase, she was one of my running companions in California, and she was from the East Coast. And huh. uh, um, I believe her name must might have come up in some of your other interviews or so forth. She's oh yeah, she was very a very good runner, and uh, she was a friend of the Carmen. She I don't know she came back, she she went to school. She was a college 
student. She went to was going to school someplace back east, and and she came out to California for a couple of years and did some running. Okay. So. Uh, yeah, I think she might have taken a trip across the country. I think, if I remember right, um, running. I think that was yeah. the that did that. Yeah. And so after high school, you you went to college and you you kept running with um, Lynn Carmen's coach Bob. And is that when uh, Julia Chase was there as well, or? Um. You know, the first time I was aware of her was when I was in high school, and we went to Pomona. I believe it was Pomona to a to an AAU um, um, competition, and uh, I entered the 440, which I believe was the the longest race. And Julia Chase entered it also. I I had never met her or anything, and um, so. Um, I was sort of, you know, in my in my high school and many of the meets, I was used to winning because uh, nobody else could run that far. I mean, that was considered to be a distance race, and everybody else would get tired, uh, but I'd keep going. Uh, but anyway, we had this race, and I can't actually I can't remember whether it's the 440 or the 220. So and Julia Chase was in it, and uh, we got about halfway down toward the finish line. It must have been a 220. Uh, we got about halfway down toward the finish line, and she was, like, pulling away. She was way ahead of everybody. She was just going, and I was just, like, struggling to keep up with the pack, you know, back of the pack. And then and she tripped and fell down in the middle of the track, and so I ended up winning the race because she was, like, she, her knee was bleeding, and her boyfriend or coach came and had to pick her up off the track. And, and that was the first time I was aware of her. So I actually competed with her when I was in high school. Oh, and I guess back then it was really women of all ages that were running together from, I know there's some 10-year-olds racing in races and women that are in their 30s. So it really wasn't, it really wasn't age-graded um, races back then. Everybody just kind of was in the same race usually. Yeah, that was, that, yes, I think so. Okay. And then he ran through high school um, with, with a kind of a club team that wasn't really associated with the school. And then tell me, after high school, um, where you went to college and, and how you got into running or kept running. Okay, I went to University of Kentucky because they had a horse program. I was interested in horses. So I went to the University of Kentucky for a year, and then I came back to California after that year. And in a while, because I had been running in high school, I I really uh, uh, had it. I was interested in keeping in shape in general, so I used to to jog around the campus uh in Kentucky, you know occasionally enough to keep uh sort of in shape so then when I went back and I decided you know enough of being so far away from home because my I was raised in San Bernardino, California, well, I went to high school in San Bernardino, California. let's put it that way, so I wanted to go home so so I went home, and I was living with my parents, and I thought, well, I'll go to the the uh, junior college here because it's cheap, and I'll get my uh, uh, basic courses out of the way and then move on to the, you know, another school, a four-year school. This was the junior college is a two-year school. So uh, when I first started going there, I went down, I was walking by the the 
the track. There was a track with some bleachers, and they were sort of near the the place where people walk to go to class and so forth. And I saw this woman there. And she was talking to a guy, and she was saying, oh, something about her workout. She was talking about, uh, you know, that her workouts were going well or what her frustrations were and so forth. And she had sweats on, and, and this is a novelty in those days. And I thought, wow, there's somebody that runs, a woman that runs. And so um, I was really a shy person, but but uh, I thought, well, I've, I've just got to talk to this woman. So I went up and introduced myself and, and said I'd heard that she ran and heard her talking about running and how I was interested in running and so forth, and could I run with her? And she said, oh, sure, yeah. You know, she was a very friendly, open, inviting person. And so I started to work out with uh, Lynn and her husband and uh different people from the men from the uh cross country court cross country team and other uh friends of theirs. All these people would work out together. Lynn and Bob and students and friends and me. And you said a lot of times you worked out in the hills and the forest. Um what do you remember about the workouts with that group? Well, it started out kind of slow, you know, working on the track and so forth. And, I, you know, I don't really like to run on tracks very much. But we would run on, you know, around on the grass on the inside of the track and sometimes on the track. And and I know, you know, uh, it's sort of like, you know, if I was running, if I were running and some a man would come running up uh, behind me, I would, like, get off to, off the track so that he could go by. And I thought that was, you know, in retrospect, that was – that was pretty interesting that just the attitude that that the men were legitimate runners and we were allowed to run but we should get out of their way i mean they never said get out of the way or anything you just felt i just felt always uh like uh like an interloper like i needed to get out of the way because the men were were the serious and and official runners so i thought that was kind of interesting Without them even saying it, it was more like a, a social norm, I guess, that you felt you felt that way. Yeah, yeah. Women get out of the way, let the men, the men are the serious ones, you know. <laughs> and how did they treat you guys when you were running with them? Did they treat you as part of the team or just kind of like a little sister that was tagging along? No, part of the team, part of the team. Yeah, they were great. The people that, uh, the friends of the Carmens that, that, hung out at their house and, and ran with them. They were uh uh really welcoming, really nice, uh really helpful, uh not threatened at all. You know, they wanted us to do as as well as we could, you know, and we're always invited, you know, to go out to the hills and run or sometimes as we got close to the marathon time we would go out on the roads and Sunday morning we'd start out really early gets really hot, you know, gets hot there. So we'd start out really early and, and try to do you know, 20 miles through the through the orange groves and stuff. Uh, so we were always uh, welcomed to participate in these things. That's really good. What uh, Did you guys go do races together? Were, were there track meets that you could go to? I'm assuming the road races weren't open to you yet at this point when you were training with this group. Um, but were you able to do any kind of races? Oh yeah, 
Yeah, all the time. We used to go to, you know, all the time because, you know, Bob was a runner and he had, you know, his men, the guys that worked out with him were runners, you know, so they knew about the races. And so whenever they went, we went also, uh, Lynn and I. And there was never any um, uh, opposition uh, to us running or surprise, you know, uh, because the local, you know, Southern California, uh, at least, well, not in Los Angeles, maybe uh, the the smaller potatoes kind of thing, uh, the, the where you know around San Bernardino and Riverside and Pomona and so forth. Um, we just ran in all the races there, and uh, the AU officials never questioned questioned us. They gave they timed us. They you know the the rudders were always very welcoming. Um, so we entered races like five miles, ten miles, seventeen miles, fifteen miles. You know we I know at least five or six of them races, different races in that area. Um, That's amazing because um, in 1961, uh, Julia Chase tried to run the Manchester Road Race and that caused such a big stir and um, she she finished the race and Sarah Mae Berman finished on the sidewalk and um, they banned Julia Chase from ever running again and they told her if she never ran again that they would try to start letting women run farther. Um, Mm -hmm. It's interesting that that the races on the West Coast were letting you guys run, and they were timing and very welcoming. But on the East Coast, yeah. they didn't want anything to do with the women being in their races. Yeah, that's why I think it's really strange because I and I was completely unaware of that. You know, I just thought you know this was the way it was that that we could run if we wanted. You know, and and we wouldn't. You know, that's why I was kind of surprised going to the the marathon and finding uh, uh, that there was opposition to us. Because I, I didn't, I was not aware of any opposition to to women running in races, except you know in high school they wouldn't let us run. I, I probably in high school probably the the track coach was was probably pretty sensitive about about people opposing the track team and trying to do things right. Mm-hmm. You know, so he probably he probably you know even though privately he might have been in favor of of women running longer distances. Uh, he kind of put a lid on it and kept us uh, within uh, accepted distances. Okay. And at this point, um, you're you know running races and the race directors aren't having problems with you. When did you decide you wanted to run a little bit further? You said you're already running 20 miles through the orange groves. And at what point did you think, Let's run a marathon, or you know, you went to sign up and, and they wouldn't let you run. Um, was this all in 1963, or did you try to sign up for a marathon prior to 19? It was in 1963. The only reason I went to the marathon was because Lynn was going. I had no notion of going to the marathon. I just liked to run, and these people ran, and I liked to run with them. And I was kind of curious as to how well, you know, what, you know, if I kept working out, how how uh, how well I could do. Uh, and whenever they went to a race, I just went with them. Uh, so I never had any any uh, any thought of doing a marathon. Okay. Um, and so you were tagging along with Lynn to, to just go along and see what was happening. And 
Uh, take me through that day in December at the Culver City Marathon and, and what happened and uh, and how the day unfolded for you guys. Okay, yeah, I have this the little this um, first person account that I've written up here, so I'll refer to this. Um, uh, um, do you want the whole story of of uh, from the first on on that day, or just what happened at the track? I, I mean, at the uh, race, or what? Um, I think a, um, a full. I mean, if you're willing, a full account is great. Because some of the things I read, like you weren't really prepared, and you, I think you ate like, a, a candy bar, and and you know, it's just fascinating that you know you really. And you were the one that finished, and you know, and Lynn didn't. She might have been a little more prepared, but your day was was definitely interesting. So if you're willing, yeah, I would I would love to uh, include the story, uh, your story in this. Okay. Um, so on the morning of December 9, 14, 1963, and and Lynn had been talking about, oh, she wanted to be the first woman to finish a marathon, and I said, what? You know, there hasn't been a woman finishing a marathon because. You know, obviously, we're out there running 20 miles. We're running with the men, you know. I'm never tired, you know. I'm thinking, you know, that's ridiculous. You know, you would think a woman would have done it before because it's well within our abilities. But anyway, so she was talking about this, and, you know, and I and we were going down and running on the – we ran, went down and ran on – it used to be called the Western Hemisphere Marathon in Culver City. And we went down and ran on the, the course a couple times and, and so forth. And um, so, you know, and then she said, well, we're going to this marathon. Oh, well, you know, I'll go along. And uh, but and, and I was prepared, you know, uh, conditioning-wise because, you know, we worked out almost every day. You know, we went, ran on the roads. We, we ran, you know, in the park, you know, uh, five or six miles a day and then out on, out on the, the roads on, on Sundays and so forth. So, I, you know, I was in shape. She was in shape. Um, so anyway, uh, I was going to go, and I didn't. I was living at home with my parents while I was going to junior college. And so, in the morning, I said, "Well, I'm going to go down with Lynn, and we're going to go to L.A. We're going to enter. A, we're going to run in a race." I knew if I told them it was a marathon, they were just like, "Oh no, you can't do that," uh, or "You're going to hurt yourself," or "Are you sure?" So I just told him, well, I'm going to run in a race, which, you know, I frequently went with Lynn to run in races. I just didn't tell him it was a marathon. So I went drove down to Carmen's house, parked the, in the family car, parked it, and rode to Culver City with the Carmens in their Volkswagen bus. And then, okay, I didn't usually eat breakfast, so on the way, uh, I mentioned I was hungry, and Lynn said, didn't you eat any breakfast? And, and, I mean, I didn't think of eating breakfast, you know, because I didn't usually eat breakfast. And, you know, if I had thought about it, you know, that it was a marathon and I might need some blood sugar or something, I, I probably would have, but I just hadn't thought of it. So so she gave me a candy bar, and uh, that was fine. It satisfied me. Um, so we drove down there, and we got to the race site, and all the meal runners were out stretching and jogging around and prancing around and, you know, uh, getting taking their sweats off and so forth and getting ready. Uh, and there were only about 60 official entries, all men, uh, which is a pr- contrast to what you see of pictures of present-day marathons. 
with hundreds of entrants. Anyway, as time uh, as it's time for the start got near, um, Lynn and I took off our sweats and handed them to Bob, who was her husband, who wasn't running that day. And I was wearing a dress blouse and a pair of white cotton gym shorts. Um, I'm reading from my account here, uh, which is really not fashionable attire for you know for present day running. But you know, I mean, women didn't run, so you know, running clothes weren't manufa- weren't available for women. You know, uh, we both wore a new kind of long distance running shoe, very light with a rubber sole for shock absorption. And I don't remember what that is. I was talking to Amby Burfoot um, from the uh, uh, Runner's World, I believe, and he was saying, oh, yeah, we all used to wear those shoes. Uh, so they were official long-distance running shoes. They weren't tennis shoes like, you know, has been reported before, I think. But neither Lynn and I had official race bibs or numbers, and we didn't have a lot of opportunity to stretch or warm up. You know, we weren't out there stretching with the men or anything. And uh, Lynn said we should hide behind some bushes so they wouldn't attract attention. This was strange for me because I'd never seen any opposition to my running in races before. But anyway, you know, I was just following her. And uh, the AU officials in Culver City evidently were not the same ones who uh, who officiated at uh, the smaller local races that Lynn and I used to run in. Um, but there was a guy named Stan Safford. Stafford, who was a friend of Bob Carmen, he was an AEU official, and he was there, and uh, he was supportive. Uh, so he timed Lynn and I to give us official times. That's that's why I have an official time for the marathon. Um, and he was just sort of quietly, uh, uh, he sort of quietly approved of us because he was a friend of the Carmens. Um, okay, uh, do you have any questions? Do you want me to go into actual the actual running? Oh, yeah, I'll ask a few questions about the about when you guys got there. Did you try to sign up for the marathon, or did you guys not even try because you knew they would say no? No, we didn't try. Okay. Lynn knew not to try, I guess. <laughs> you know, Lynn and Bob really, you know, they were really knew a lot about the, the different officials and the rules, and and they knew what to expect. Okay. Well, we never signed into any races, actually. You know, the the local oh. races that we ran, and we never signed into them. We just went and started running. Oh, okay. Um, and do you know at that time, like, how much the races cost that you were running, or um, how much they were charging for signing up? Uh, no, <laughs> I didn't know they charged. <laughs> In the East Coast, it was it was like one dollar, two dollars. And sometimes up to five dollars yeah. for some of the races, but yeah, um, yeah, that's, it's, it's always interesting to ask the, the difference between then and now because now some of the marathons are hundreds of dollars to run, and really, off being just a few uh, dollars, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think running is something anybody can do any time. You know, why why would anybody charge someone to run? <laughs> that just seems weird to me. But I guess you know, marathons are a different thing these days. There's like you know, kind of a uh, carnival type atmosphere, you know, kind of a, I don't know, they're they're big special deals, which you know, I guess they should be, but uh, I I, they weren't that way back then. 
Did they have any? Um, I guess I'll have you tell about uh, during the race, and then I'll then I'll ask some questions about um, about the race itself. Uh, and okay. You and Carmen, I'm assuming, ran together because you were you were hiding in the bushes and you waited until the men started. I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so we ran out to run with the men, and and there was a male runner that Lynn knew, and uh, she started running with him, and they just took off really fast, left me behind. Uh, because I'm kind of a, low, a slow starter, and I was, you know, kind of start slow and then then pick up the pace later and catch up later. And so she took off with this, you know, running with someone else, and I was just plodding along. <laughs> so I was running entirely by myself, and Lynn was up ahead somewhere, and the other official male runners were mostly up there also. Um, but I think that's why I wasn't harassed by the officials, Lynn got their attention early because she was running near the pack. And um, she told me later about being confronted by the AAU officials who tried to force her out of the race, and she reported actually being grabbed and hitting her opponent. Um, But I was nowhere near that. I did not observe it. Bob was driving along near her in the Volkswagen, and I think uh, he was yelling at the officials to let her leave her alone. And uh, by the time I caught up, Nobody was paying any attention, you know. Nobody seemed to to notice me or, you know, or anything. Uh, but it took me, you know, half the race before I started catching up with people. So, okay. and the traffic was not really diverted for the race. No. Uh, and support automobiles with coaches and friends were cruising along beside us. And I don't know. I assume that that doesn't happen today because, uh, you know, there's so many runners and so forth. And things are so much more organized. Anyway, uh, people would come and drive along beside us and talk to us and so forth while we were running. And I don't think the streets were blocked or motors were particularly notified. There might have been signs saying, you know, look out for runners, but no streets were blocked or anything. And so during the first half hour of the race, there was a car making its turn and didn't see me and almost hit me. It was the screeching brakes and so forth, and I jumped out of the way. And then I started to have heart palpitations, which is a uh, a recurrent health problem, not serious but annoying, uh, that I had all of my life. So I sat down on the curb, and, I, you know, when that happens, I have to, like, uh, calm down and, and stop moving and, and let it... Uh, uh, get back to normal. So I sat down on the curb with my head between my knees, and, uh, I mean, there's nobody around. The race was all ahead of me and so forth. And then my heart stopped racing, and then I got up, and I took off running to try to catch up with Lynn. So I was like five or ten minutes that I was out of the race then. And I I didn't drink any water during the race. (laughs) <laughs> uh, there probably were some stations where they give you water. They, there were stations at most races where they gave you water, but I never liked to drink it because if I was kept running and drinking, I'd choke, you know, and and I didn't ever want to stop running um, because my running was kind of rhythmic and robotic, you know. I would just sort of like hit this groove. And I just really didn't want to, uh, you know, uh, 
interrupt my get interrupted. You know, I just like to hit this groove and to go. You know, not you know stop and start and speed up and slow down. I just get into this groove or a spell kind of thing. So it seems weird today that anybody would try to run 26 miles with no water and not much food. But um, I mean, I was young. <laughs> I was invincible, I felt. Okay, I didn't feel thirsty, and I didn't feel hungry after the candy candy bar. And how old were you at this time when you were running the marathon? I think I was 22, 21. Okay. I think I was 20. can't remember. It's not here somewhere. Uh, in that, I think 20. Um, I did have some trouble with my shoes. They were new shoes. And I had something which was rubbing my foot all the time. And so uh, a couple of my friends, a couple of the male runners who weren't competing, like Bill Paisley was one of them, and um, a couple others, were, were driving along uh, in their car, you know, like a, in a support vehicle, uh, talking to me and so forth. And I would take off, and I'd say, my shoe is bothering me. And they'd say, show it, to, give it to me. So I'd take off the shoe and I'd run barefoot for a little while while they they uh, uh, worked on my shoe, and then they'd hand it back to me and I'd put it on. So that was kind of annoying because, like I say, you know, I want I like to like hit this uh, this groove and just keep keep moving at the same pace. But you know, so that was that kind of interrupted me. Uh, these people also took some pictures of me during the race that I still have. Um, after an hour or two, I caught up with some of the men, and the race is run several laps, so runners start lapping each other about the middle of the race. Uh, so I wasn't running alone anymore. You know, people would come by me, and and I'd you know catch up with people and so forth. Um, and then later in the race, I finally caught up to Lynn. I think it was 18-mile point or something. And I was so glad to see her up there. And I finally caught up with her, and I was so glad that we could run together and finish the race. And so I caught up with her, and we ran a little bit. And she told me about uh, her altercation with the AU officials and how she had hit this guy and, and how they didn't want us in there and everything. And I was really surprised because I had not been approached by anyone, any AU officials, I I wasn't approached by anyone who told me to quit the race. But anyway, she was having a bad day, and she said, well, I, you know, I'm going to quit. And I said, oh, you can't quit. I find, You know, we're finally here, and we can run together, and, and uh, you're doing so well, and most of the race is already over. And I knew she was in great shape, you know, and so I didn't understand. Uh, so anyway, I went on without her. And maybe I should have quit because it was her dream. But I could just hear people saying that these two stupid women had tried to run the marathon. And, of course, they failed because women aren't up to it. And uh, I just couldn't stand that thought. So I thought, well, you know, I'm I'm not tired. I'm just going to go ahead. And I thought, well, if they tried to force Lynn out that time, then next time they would say, well, you guys again, you know, and they'd have more ammunition to keep women out of the race after that. 
So I needed to show that entering the marathon wasn't a stupid prank and women athletes in general should be taken seriously. So that's why I kept running, this ego or something. <laughs> I like it. And um, as the race kept going, it, it, you said you didn't feel hungry, you didn't feel thirsty, and there really wasn't any aid stations available for you. Did you catch any of the men? Did you Did you pass some during the last part of the race? You know, I didn't really, I can't remember that I passed any until the last leg. There were like several long laps, and then there was a, a straight uh, last part of the race, I don't know, maybe a mile or so that went down past the finish line, and the starting line and the finish, finish line. So as we were turned off of the last lap and went down this last leg, um I did. I started to pass uh, men, and uh, some of them actually, you know, they see somebody coming behind them. When I would pass them, and I was obviously a woman, uh, they would like do a double take. <laughs> that was pretty interesting. Uh, and Julia Chase was there uh, in her car, and she was she was driving along. And I think she had been driving along through much of the race, and she had been driving uh, driving along next to Lynn for a while earlier in the race and so forth. But anyway, she was there, and um, she and a friend driving alongside me in their car. And every time I would pass one of these men, they would start to, to laugh and cheer and everything. It was very embarrassing, <laughs> these poor guys. <laughs> they'd, they'd see somebody coming up behind them. I'd pass them. They'd look and oh, it's a woman, and then they'd have these these women in this car laughing. Uh, it was pretty embarrassing. Um, you know, I really, I don't really think that was necessary to embarrass them that way. But anyway, uh, uh, so I had a rooting rooting section at the end there. Some men had actually stopped running entirely, and they were laying on the sidewalk or in the gutter, looking like they were going to die or something. And I remember thinking, looking at them and thinking, why were they in this race? I mean, like a marathon is something you need to train for diligently for a long time. And um, I think that that maybe some of some of the these people that that were in such bad shape at the end were, you know, they just maybe they did five mile runs or something like that, and then they decided they're tough. I'm going to go out and run this marathon. And then, uh, then they didn't do too well or got tired at the end. But I don't know. It's a different kind of philosophy between somebody who just goes out to do something for, for the you know, uh, the thrill of it, and somebody who who trains diligently for a long time for something, like a you know, a, a dedicated athlete. Anyway, I assumed that these were people who who had entered the race or men who had entered the race without sufficient training. I didn't think, you know, women are better runners or anything. I just thought, well, distance running, and that, that's why I think I like distance running because uh, or I did like distance running when I could still run, uh, that uh, it really is a reflection of how hard you've worked you know, how, how dedicated you were and how well-conditioned you are. And this, uh, the business of c- 
conditioning, you know, being able to condition oneself to the point of being able to uh, to uh, do long distances. I think that's that's my um, love of distance running. I like that. I like the the idea of you know it's really about what you put in and you get out and it's not yeah not necessarily male or female. It's just how hard you work. Yeah. It's like maybe bodybuilders maybe have that kind of thing that you know that that uh, if they work out long enough, what can they accomplish? You know, what can their body be trained to do? Mm-hmm. And um, so when you when you finally finish, and the official or Stan Stafford, he was keeping the time for you. What did the other officials say um, when you finally finished the marathon? Nobody said anything to me. <laughs> oh. Um, I just went across the line and I said, is is this the finish? And they said, yeah. And I don't know, it's been reported some places that I staggered across the line saying, is this the end? But it wasn't true. I wasn't even tired. I mean, I didn't really sprint toward the finish, but I just sort of loped across and said, is is you know, is this the finish line? And somebody said, yeah. And uh, then I just started talking to my friends. They, you know, I have a picture of Julia Chase and her friend trying helping me put my sweats on and stuff. Um, I didn't talk to any. I didn't even talk to Stan Stafford. Hmm. Okay. In my memory, um, possibly yeah. I did, you know, but I don't remember it now. And what did Lynn uh, think or feel after the race when she wasn't able to complete it? Oh, she was very, very gracious, very nice. Uh, she, she just. Uh, uh, just congratulated me, and she was happy for me. And and but you know, I've always felt a little bit bad about that because I know she was certainly capable of doing it. Uh, she just had a bad day. No, she was always supportive, and she's the one who called in into the paper and said, you know, that we had this uh, a woman that uh, complete the marathon here, and we don't believe that's ever been done before in this country. So. She was always supportive. And when I tried to talk to her about it, and I'd say, hey, gee, I'm sorry, you know, and she said, oh, don't, don't even talk about it. And she was she was fine. She's always been a very gracious and kind person. Yeah. It's, it's very cool that you two got to experience that together. And, and did you continue training together after this marathon? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we continued to to run, and I remember we were, uh, sometimes we used to go to the, like, um, junior high school cross men's cross-country races, which is really cool. They had run, like, five miles, and uh, um, it was uh, in the hills, usually, and that was about the level at which you could really, you know, like high school and above, the men are much faster and stronger and so forth. But like junior high school, you're pretty much on an equal footing with the, these guys. So uh, it was really fun to actually get in there and uh, actually be able to duke it out with a, another runner. Well, I mean, there's no women around running that you can get in to, you know, compete with a whole lot. So that was kind of fun. And after the Culver City Marathon, um, how long did you keep running and training and competing? Mm-hmm. I uh, 
not much longer because I left San Bernardino to go to Davis, California, to go to school, to go to the four-year school. And the first year, I did a lot of running on my own, trained every day, and uh, um, ran a little bit with their country, cross-country people in, in practice. But the cross-country coach there, when I approached him about training with his team, uh, he didn't want anything to do with me. So he he, uh, he wouldn't talk to me about running. He wouldn't uh, let. He told me I wasn't supposed to train, you know, with his group because I'm I quote I might distract the men. So. But, you know, actually I did run with them because they used to run. There was this big soccer field, and they used to run around it in the, in the afternoon. And I would go out there and run, and, you know, I was free to whoever wanted to run around. And the coach was never there, so so there wasn't an issue. And those guys were friendly to me. But I wasn't allowed to, I wasn't allowed to participate in any of their events or anything. And I, I didn't know what... Uh, what races were uh, available in that area? I mean, I did go down to Sacramento once and ran in a ran an 880 on the track. Um, I remember at one point. So I was looking for places, you know, for opportunities to compete uh, and run, but I really didn't find any in that area. So. Um, I just gradually lost interest and stopped stop training it seems like the barriers definitely got much tougher for you and you're you're starting to get told more a little more often yeah yeah okay yeah so i maybe i was just in a a, a you know a rare window of opportunity in in uh the uh the opportunities that were available to me in Southern California, at least in the uh, Riverside, San Bernardino, Colton area. And when you um, when you were training before you left um, before you left San Bernardino, do you remember what kind of mileage you were doing and what kind of workouts you guys were doing? Did you keep track of those things? Um. I didn't really. I think we were um, like what would be five miles a day for um, five days. It would be 25 miles and then 20 miles. I think uh, if we, we did 50 miles a week, that would be about it. We were training about 50 miles a week. Okay. Now, later. Every day? I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, you always want to take one or two rest days a week off. Okay. I mean, you have to. Uh, okay. If you've never been a runner. uh uh, every once in a while you have a day when you, you decide you want to go out and work out and you can't. Your legs are like rubber, like like lead or something like that. You cannot run. And so you know when that happens that you've been training too hard, so you take a day or two off. And then you learn to uh, take at least one day off a week on a regular basis, you know, so that you can repair your your body or something. Okay. Sounds good to me. Did run um, I, train? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to ask if if the training ever 
if you thought it ever took away from your studying or your social life, if you were ever too tired to do things, or if running fit really well into your life? Oh, no, running always fit well in my life. I always, you know, it did uh, mentally and emotionally and so forth. It's a very calming uh, sort of thing to do. I, I never was particularly tired or whatever. It kind of, uh, yeah, I I always uh, pursued a full load of studies and, and I uh, dated in the evenings and so forth, you know, the weekends. Um, yeah, I, I I just sort of it was just sort of part of my life. It didn't kind of fit in without uh, displacing anything else. Okay. And after you ran the marathon, how did your parents take the news that you you know you were the first woman to complete a marathon? What did they think about you doing that? Well, I never told them. Oh no. Uh, <laughs> um, a couple days, I had my uncle was visiting me from Wisconsin, and uh, he was reading the newspaper a couple of days later, and, and there was an article that Lynn had called in to the newspaper, the local newspaper, San Bernardino newspaper, and he he was reading this, and he said, "Look, there's an article here about Mary," and everybody looked, "Oh, really?" And you know, they just shook their head like, "He must be nuts," you know. Uh, they didn't. Uh, attach much significance to it, except that I had done this and I'd uh, survived. <laughs> they, were, they were glad I hadn't hurt myself. Oh, that's funny. Were they glad you didn't hurt yourself because of all the rumors about the health concerns about women women running far? Is is that the reason they? No, they they knew I was an overachiever, and everything I have done all my life, I'm an overachiever. So they're always uh, trying to um, uh, calm me down and get me to achieve less. Uh, I, that's, that's that's really probably not a good way to, to put it. They were always worried about me that I would hurt myself for trying to do too much. You like to burn the candle at both ends. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did, uh, uh, I did. I did do some more, some more uh, training later on in life. You know, after I, okay. you know, I said, I, I. Uh, do you want to hear about that or not? Yeah, that'd be great. Um, so you, you quit running for a while while you were finishing up school, and then, um, yeah. Tell me about how you got back into running. Well, uh, I did when, I don't know. Uh, I, w- Later in my life, after I graduated from college and so forth, um, I always, like, tried to keep in shape a little bit. I sort of think, you know, I should be able to run five miles, you know, so I sort of keep – I sort of run occasionally. And then um, I started running pretty seriously when I was working in Wisconsin. Uh, I had an office job in it. Uh, I really liked to get out at at noon, and and I got permission to take two-hour lunches couple times a week so that I could uh, work out and uh, I was trying to get back into shape where I could do marathons again and uh, feeling good about it and I you know it was good for my mental health and it was uh, I had the time and so forth and um, then I moved to uh, from Wisconsin I moved to um, near El Paso uh, Las Cruces to work for the government 
uh, for the federal government. Um, and I went down to El Paso. I heard they were. I was. I was really trying to get back, you know, into marathon shape. And there was a, a marathon in El Paso that I went down and I ran in. But I was like, I was unhappy with my time for the Conference City Marathon. <laughs> I thought, you know, if I really put my mind to it, I could do it a lot faster. So when I started the marathon in, in El Paso, I wasn't really, I hadn't really been training over long distances that much. And I started out really fast. I started out running like a sprint, you know, uh-huh. really fast. And I kept up a pretty good pace. Uh, and there were women in that, women allowed to run in that race. There were other women. So I remember at one point I was pa- I passed somebody at one of the stations and they said, uh, you're the second woman. You're second in, you're in second place. And that was about the 15 or 16 mile point. And after that, I just hit a wall. I just, I couldn't continue that fast pace. And I just worn myself out. So that's the first time in my life in a race I ever quit. And, you know, they have cars that go around and pick up the stragglers. I actually quit and, and, uh, uh, was picked up by a support vehicle. And uh and then after that, you know, I kept working out, but you know, I never enter, entered any any more races in near there. Um, then when I was in vet school, I went to veterinary school at a late age. I was about 40. And uh the different people were talking about there a couple professors and a couple of the students uh, male and female were runners, and they decided they wanted to go to Columbus, Ohio. Uh, they had a, um, a celebration of Columbus Day in uh, um, Ohio. I guess that would have been uh, uh, 1982, whatever. The, yeah, the uh, uh, celebration of uh, Columbus columbus's landing or whatever they had a big they were going to have a big special marathon in columbus ohio and everybody was getting ready for that and uh they asked me if i wanted to go with them and we were going to drive there and uh everybody was training and training for about a year and um um i decided that you know in order to do better in the marathon i had to do training runs that were longer than 26 miles. So I was doing, at the end there, I was doing 30-mile training runs by myself because I never could get together with the other people that were training. And I was I was trying to, I was doing like 90 miles a week. And uh, I was doing these real ultra-long training runs. Uh, I was ready. But then they decided they weren't going to drive, they were going to fly, and it was going to cost too much money, and uh, I was upset because they weren't going along with the original plans, so I didn't go. So I was in that really great shape, and then I didn't go. So that was was the the last time I really trained seriously. But, you know, uh, after I finished the marathon, there really wasn't a lot of motivation you know, like there was uh, um, 
some AAU opposition. It was a few years before we could even run in any races, and there was no Olympic marathon. If there had been an Olympic marathon, it would have been a goal that that uh, all women could have uh, at that time could have uh, had. You know that there was an Olympic marathon, and so competing in a lot of marathons was relevant. But um, I remember thinking back then, it, you know, it wasn't even relevant. We're doing something that's not even uh, that's frowned upon, you know. So and uh, so you do good times, you know, in in little marathons. Uh, what does it lead to? We can't go to the Olympics. So that yeah, was discouraging. It definitely sounds like um, you know, the first one was definitely to be there with Lynn and try to prove that women could do it. And after that, some of the barriers got in the way. And and you're right, they they just weren't really encouraging for women at that time to, uh-huh. to be many. Yeah, but by the time by the time it got to where there was a, a women's marathon, I was you know I was probably too old, or I felt I was too old, or it was <laughs> half my prime. There we go. Um, and during, I know when you were in San Bernardino, there was a great support crew for you. It was a great community, kind of allowed women to run. But when you um, when you moved away from there, did you ever feel like you needed to hide your running, or did anybody ever make you feel like you were uh, definitely? You know, strange for for being out running. Uh, no, uh, well, you know, as you know, uh, progressively there were more and more people running, uh, and uh, no, I just I just felt uh, kind of you know, I did not feel uh, socially awkward or anything. For for running, I I didn't feel that it was uh, strange at all, and it, it always seemed to be pretty well uh, accepted by other people. Okay, and in 1963, when you went to run the Culver Marathon, and this was Lynn's goal to prove that women could run the marathon and they could do it, did you um, did you think about the the fact that you were creating history or during the race? Did you think you know, I'm creating history. This this is going to be something different, and I'll always remember. And hopefully, it changes people's mind about women. Did that ever cross your mind? Well, I did. I uh, not really. I I I did think. Well, this can, this will show them we can do it. Uh, maybe you know. I thought that a little bit. You know. Uh, well, you know. Here I did it. That's obvious that we can do it. But I really, you know, personally, I really didn't think it was a big accomplishment because. I always knew that women could do that, could could run marathons, you know. Um, uh, I don't know. I just always felt that that women could run as far as they wanted, and I always, and I thought also that maybe women were were better suited for distance races, you know, because of the I don't know that they have more endurance, slow endurance. Very true. I think they've, they've definitely been showing that, I guess, in the ultras and some of the yeah. endurance races that women yeah. are definitely closing the gap for sure. Yeah, and I think the longer the race, the the better women do proportionately. And then after the race, really nobody talked to you for a really long time about it. What did you think when you were contacted in the last year or two by you know David Davis and Andy Burfoot about 
you being the first woman to run a marathon? Um, I thought I thought that was neat. <laughs> I thought it was interesting. You know, I, I I was kind of shocked. I mean, when when David Davis called me, he said, "Well, I I've been trying to find you for a year, and the way he found me was I had put an ad on Craigslist, and he found my number there, and I thought." Uh, I thought that's really strange. You know, I don't uh, make any effort to hide or anything. I mean, like, like. Uh, in fact, one of my friends um, was one of my old boyfriends was my former boyfriends was uh, uh, interested in this. I was a computer geek, and he put my name on on the computer, and all the stuff came up about the marathon. So the information was there in different articles and so forth and I remember he printed me out uh, some of the stuff he got off the computer and that was that was like trying to think when that was maybe five or ten years ago that he did that so the information was there yeah wow it's definitely interesting that they went it went that long before people were like, oh, wait, this was the first marathon. It wasn't all about Boston or Captain yeah. Switzer, um, you know. Is well, it sure surprised me, you know, that nobody seemed to attach any significance to it, and all of a sudden I've got people calling me, asking me for interviews, you know. <laughs> it, there's been a definite resurgence in uh, the history of, of women's running, uh, cause, mostly because it was the 40-year anniversary of you know, Boston being official for women uh, last year. But, um, and, you know, Andrew Burfoot's writing a book and your RCA is now doing this little history project. Um, and, and we've definitely found some interesting things out. I mean, um, you're definitely credited for being, you know, the first woman to complete and run a marathon, like a real road marathon. Um, mm-hmm. Arlene, um, Arlene Piperstein actually ran... Pikes Peak Marathon in 1959, yeah. but it wasn't technically you know a road marathon. It was more of a trail, more of a trail run, and it took her like you know nine and a half hours. So she kind of was one of the first trail marathoners. But you're definitely the first you know female uh, marathon road racer, um, and I think it was really important to definitely make sure that that got noted in history. Um, and I'm glad they, I'm glad they finally did that. Yeah. 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 So I still, you know, I'm thinking, oh, you dummies, of course we could do that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you thought it was no big deal, and everybody else could go. A marathon, could, a woman could run a marathon? I think I think the problem with the marathon, I was telling this to Ann, Andy Burfoot, is the, the business of the, uh, uh, this, this myth or whatever it is about this, this uh, Greek person who ran to tell the, the news of the victory of this battle. And like... It, this guy ran 26 miles and then he dropped dead. And so in, in people's mind, marathon is synonymous with somebody being so stupid to run so far that they would die, you know. So, uh, I yeah, I, I just think I that this, pop, this misconception, yeah. And it, supposedly that really didn't happen. I think it's actually a little bit, I can't remember if it was a little bit shorter or longer. Um, I guess it, it happened, but it wasn't quite, it either wasn't that far or he didn't die right away. It was, it was something yeah. like that, but you're right. I, yeah. I hadn't even thought about that. You're right. That that might yeah. be kind of in, in the back of people's minds. Yeah, um, so they're thinking, well, a woman do this? You know, that would be really, you know, be be certain death or something like that. I, 
And did you ever, did anyone ever tell you about, you know, running long distance is going to hurt your health or you'd never be able to have kids or it's going to make you, you know, it's going to turn you masculine. Did anyone ever tell you that about running? Uh, nobody told me that. I Well, I mean, I heard rumors that Carmen's used to talk about stuff like that. Um, yeah, and, and at the time, you know, I hadn't been married or had any kids or anything, so so someone was saying, well, you need to, now you need to have a child so they, so you can prove that it doesn't uh, interfere with that. <laughs> and I did have a child later, and I didn't have any problems. And Lynn had three kids when she, when she uh, ran with me. Okay. And she, you know, she finished several marathons, I think, later. So. Okay. Um, and has, um, I think you guys had lost touch, but it was, did, did this article put you guys back in touch? Did Dave Davis did? Yeah, David Davis uh, uh, put me in touch with her. And, and if I go back for this Culver City thing, I'll probably go and visit her. Mm-hmm. I visited her back when I was in college a couple times. And she lives, she lives in Santa Barbara now. And uh, But I haven't seen her for years. But I did talk to her on the phone after David Davis put us in touch with each other. Mm-hmm. Good. Uh, and so when you um, were in vet school and you started back running again, and then the marathon didn't happen. Um, did you continue to run, and are you still running today? Oh, well, actually, I have a knee replacement. And, oh. uh, uh But it's important to note this, that when I first went in and they saw that, you know, the cartilage was gone in one of my knees, what the doctor said to me, he says, we do not usually see this kind of injury in long-distance runners. Hmm. And in uh, not long, it was in uh, people who've been running for years. He said, we do not usually see this. And uh, the reason for mine is I have a, kind of a deformity in my foot, my left foot, which uh, caused me, that's why I couldn't really be a sprinter, which caused me to have a, 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 a kind of strange gait where my foot kind of turns out. So it was putting um, undue pressure on my knee which is why my knee eventually went out. And when you have a knee replacement, you're not allowed to run because it will destroy the the implant or whatever. So that was about the worst day in my life when I had to stop running because I, I, I planned, hoped and planned and intended to be running into my 80s. And now I can't run. Aww. But uh, but no, that's, that's okay. I had a good, I had a good, uh, good bunch of years there. And uh, I just I just want to point out that people should not stop running because it'll hurt their knees. Because uh, you know if your anatomy is is correct and you're running properly, it shouldn't um, cause that kind of damage. That's definitely good advice to give to the people that are you know younger starting running and even those that are taking up running later in life. It's, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people say, "Oh, don't run; it'll ruin your knees." And so I was really interested in in talking to the. It was an orthopedic surgeon who was telling me this. So I mean, he ought to know. And then, so what? Uh, what did you did you take up anything to take the place of running? Did you find other means to to stay in shape? Yeah, oh, I thought I would uh, uh, do bicycle riding, uh, and and I did for for. A few years until I moved to Arizona but there's no it's you know there's not a lot of paved roads around here so 
so I really haven't been biking here, but I'm going to get back into it. Um, mostly, I do. Uh, I live on a little farm here. We're kind of like breaking ground here and establishing a uh, a little farm here in the desert. <laughs> and so, and I have two horses, so I do a tremendous amount of uh, farm work. So I'm always thinking with all the the heavy-duty lifting and pushing and pulling and so forth that I'm doing that I'm getting enough exercise. Yeah, definitely. But uh, whenever I go on a trip or something, I always take my bicycle and I, I made sure to uh, to ride it almost every day. So I, I like to keep active and, and keep in shape one way or the other. That's great. It's great that, um, you know, that running uh, you know, kept you healthy and now you're still you know, continuing to be healthy, and it's probably why you're able to do all the farm work from where you are. Yeah, I keep thinking, like, I'm 70 years old. I'm thinking, uh, what other 70-year-old is out here mucking out horse stalls and stuff, you know? Oh, that's uh. great. And how long, um, so you went after vet school, how long uh, did you practice veterinary medicine when you went back? You went back at age 40, and how long did you continue with, with being a well, vet? The reason I went, I didn't go to vet school in order to become a, 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 um, a conventional practitioner. I went to vet school because I was interested in epidemiology, in uh, statistical analysis of disease occurrence. And um, so that uh, was what I was, I didn't really concentrate on the clinical aspect of uh, veterinary medicine. And I, you know, I didn't intend to really be a, a conventional veterinarian. Um, I wanted to work in a government office or something, uh, doing epidemi. And in fact, I did. Doing, I was a, an epidemiologist. I was a state epidemiologist in, uh, for animals, in uh, South Dakota for a while. Other times, I worked for the food safety uh, service as a public health veterinarian, which is kind of like epidemiology. Okay. Um, so uh, I only did clinical veterinary practice uh, uh, in my spare time at different times. Okay. It's definitely a very cool career path that not a lot of people think about. Yeah. Well, people should think very closely about the clinical uh, side of it because that's uh, um, I ran into a whole lot of veterinarians that were totally burnt out. You know, they had nervous breakdowns and so forth from trying to do clinical practice when they weren't really um, uh, naturally uh, um, inclined to do that. You know, the dealing with the people and the the uh, the uh, animals that you can't save and so forth. It's it's very it's extremely stressful. Yeah. That, that's why I didn't do it very much. <laughs> it does, that would definitely wear on you, to say the least. Um, yeah. Well, some people, you know, it, it doesn't phase them, but some people, you know, more sensitive. Some of the more sensitive people that I that I met um, just couldn't handle it. You know, to try to to save. You know, are you saving the animal, or are you saving the client money, or are you trying to earn more money, or you know, what is it? What is what are you doing? And most of the people through vet school, their concern is with the animal. They want to save the animal. And all these other things just are, you know, stressful distractions. You know, running a business, that kind yeah. of thing. 
Definitely a lot harder than people think. Um, so now, uh, what are you doing now? You said you've, you've moved to Arizona and you're, you've kind of broken ground and I'm sorry, the farm. Um, what are your goals now and, and what are you, what are you up to? Well, I'm retired. Um, I wouldn't mind doing some veterinary medicine on the side, but I haven't really gotten into that lately. Um, I help my neighbors and so forth when they have, uh, have problems with their, the health of their animals. Uh, when I can, but I'm not licensed here, so I can't really practice. You know, I can talk to people about stuff, but I can't really prescribe medicines or do treatments or anything because I'm not licensed here. Um, mainly just uh, uh, riding my horses and uh, um, setting up a place to live here. We're in a place that has no electricity. And so we're into solar energy and uh, that kind of stuff, and that's kind of interesting and fun. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Mary, it has definitely been a a great interview. I I love to be pretty much the pioneer of women's marathoning here in the U.S. Is there anything that I forgot to ask or didn't, um, didn't cover or anything that you'd like to add? No, uh, you've got uh, everything that uh, um, you did a good interview job. I I, I was able to uh, um, talk about just about everything, and I'm glad I had my, my little first-person um, um, account here to, to uh, fall back on. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's, been, it's been fine. Thank you very much for, for interviewing me. You're a good interviewer. Uh, well, thank you. It was, it was really great to talk to you, and I'm glad um, I'm glad we're including you in in the Women's Pioneers uh, of Running History Project. And it'll be on the RSCA website hopefully by the end of the year. Um, it's going to be really fun because Andy Burfoot's book should come out around the the end of this year, and this project should be done by the end of the year. So it'll be another oh. big uh, publicity push for history great. Of running. <laughs> great. Yeah, I, I really. Uh... I would like to encourage any any women who are interested in distance racing to go ahead and and do it, and it's good for you, and uh, uh, it's a satisfying thing, and don't let people discourage you. Definitely. And I'll, I'll definitely keep watching to see if you end up at the Culver City Marathon uh, this year to take part in the festivities. I think that would be great for them to do, to bring you in and and have you be a part of it. Yeah, well, we'll see. Um, thank, thank you for your, so so this uh, the interviews that you've done with people for this project they're going to uh, be uh, available on the internet. Yeah, they'll. I um, it gets downloaded onto this conference site, I guess, and then they'll go through and edit all of them, and then eventually post them um, on the RRC website. And I'll definitely keep you updated on the progress of it and when okay. they start posting things so that you'll Good. be able to, yeah, you'll be able to go and yeah. see and, and listen to yourself. Yeah, I'd like, like to find out about the other people that you're interviewing. There's definitely some interesting stories. Yes. Okay. Thank <laughs> well, you. Mary, thank you so much. And uh, you have a great week and uh, I'll keep you updated. You too. Thanks. All righty. Thank you. Bye. Bye.